the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Five one forty eight. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy takes us back to the future. The Lord Jesus with the three disciples and Moses and Elijah, something happens in the mountain. And what happens is a revelation is given of the glory of the one who has been walking amidst them. A glory that will be confirmed in his resurrection. Glory and power that will be put on display at the second coming. It is their witness, it is their confession that this is the Christ that will move the world. Coming up on Know the Truth Now, Philip DeCourcy unpacks the truths of Mark chapter 9 related to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. We're looking into what Peter, James, and John witnessed on that mountain some 2,000 years ago and what it means for us today. In these passages of Scripture, we're given a glimpse into the second coming when Jesus will return to rule and reign over all the earth. It's a message Philip has titled, Preview of Coming Attractions, from our Essential Jesus series. Here's Philip DeCourcy. You experience this, perhaps when watching the trailers at your local movie theater. You experience this when you eat some appetizers at a good restaurant. And the this is a preview of coming attractions. You know, you get to see the movie that will be out in a month. And the trailer whets your appetite for coming attractions. That appetizer tells you the quality of the food and the cook in the kitchen and the main course is still to come. All of those things are previews of coming attraction, sneak peeks into things yet to take place. They bring the future into the present. And I believe that's true here in Mark chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. Because in the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a sneak peek into the future. What we have in the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ is a preview of coming attractions. I'm going to suggest to you, and I hope I can argue it in this exposition, that what the disciples saw on that Mount of Transfiguration was an encounter with the kingdom of God in its final and full form. Back up into verse 1. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that there is some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. The Lord Jesus is promising that there are some that are going to see a preview of the coming kingdom in its full and final form. We're talking about the second coming. I believe we're talking about that future millennial kingdom. Because look at verse 38. 
Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. That's the second coming. That's what's talked about in the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is saying, some of you are going to see that glory presently. So here's my argument. I believe that that promise in verse 1 is fulfilled in the events of verse 2 through 13. Now, not everybody agrees with that. Some say it was fulfilled in the resurrection. Some say it was fulfilled in the ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Some say it was fulfilled in the spread of Christianity. Some say it was fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Others say it will be fulfilled at the second coming. With all due respect, and many good men hold those views, I think that misses the mark. I believe that verse 1 is fulfilled in verse 2, 3, 4, and following. Because the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus gives us a sneak peek into how Jesus is going to look and what the kingdom of God is going to look like when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Now, I'll give you some arguments for that. Look at verse 2 and how it begins. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. I think that special and careful notation of time in verse 2 is linking it to verse 1. Jesus has said, hey, some of you are going to see the future glory, and you're going to see it now. And then Mark says, now after six days. And you have this transfiguration. You have this display of Christ's glory. I would argue there's a good argument for it being the transfiguration. Here's another argument they're going to see the kingdom of God. It's going to be something physical, something manifest. It's not going to be a vision. It's not going to be a dream. It's not going to be something that takes place internally. And that's exactly what we see in the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John get to see the deity, the glory, the wonder of Jesus Christ shining through his humanity. In fact, Peter, we'll go to this in a moment, we'll talk about being an eyewitness to his majesty. Plus, did you notice Jesus didn't include all of the disciples I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Well, they all got to experience the resurrection together. They all got to see the ascension together. They were all experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost together. Now, this is a fulfillment that will take place among a select number. Is it any wonder then? We read in verse 2, Now after six days, Jesus took some of them, Peter, James, and John, and they became eyewitnesses to that majesty six days after Jesus said, Some of you will see the kingdom's power presently. So I would argue that it is the transfiguration. Now, the transfiguration does anticipate the second coming in the millennial kingdom, but it doesn't fulfill verse 1 of Mark chapter 9. That's fulfilled in the transfiguration. In fact, I made mention of it. Go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. And listen to Peter as he looks back on the events on the sacred mountain. 
For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw the glory kind of thing. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. On that holy mountain, they became eyewitnesses to the majesty of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's my argument. And I hope you're convinced by it. And if you're not, then you're being really stubborn because those are four really good arguments for the fulfillment of verse 1 in the events of verse 2 and following. Now let's put the text into its context quickly. Here's the purpose of the transfiguration in my mind. And remember what the transfiguration is. It's a glimpse into the glory that's going to come in a future day. Three guys got to be an eyewitness in time and space within their lifetime of something the world will embrace in the end. And what's the purpose of that? Well, would you agree with me that we're redressing and balancing out the call to costly discipleship? I mean, Jesus has just laid down the hammer. Guys, you know what? Let's balance your view of the kingdom. The Messiah in the Old Testament isn't just this glorious figure, the Son of Man in Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. The Messiah in the Old Testament is the one who's pierced in Psalm 22, the one who pours out his soul into death in Isaiah 53, the one whom the world will see pierced at the second coming, Zechariah 14. And so he says, no, the Son of Man, the Messiah, will suffer many things. And you know what, guys? If you're going to follow the crucified Master, you yourselves will need to be crucified. Not literally, although that will be the case for some of you, but you're going to have to take up your cross daily. You're going to deny yourself. Your carnal self will no longer be the governing principle of your life. You're crucified with Christ, and the life you now live, you live in relationship to Him. And you're going to have to take up your cross. And Peter will know later on, for him, it will mean a literal cross. He's going to die the same way Jesus. And church tradition tells us he was so taken by that that when he was crucified, he was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in a manner like the master. So that's where we were at. And Jesus, in that context, did give them incentive. Guys, Be willing to lose your life. If you're willing to lose it, you'll find it. It'll be worth it in the end when we see Jesus. Don't be ashamed of me so that I won't deny you on that final day. Don't try and win the world. Don't try and gain material comfort. Don't try and lay your cross down because it's too hard to bear. No, you do that because if you gain the world, you'll lose your soul. But if you lose the world, you'll gain your soul. So he's already given the motives. And I think here he's adding to that argument. He's going from suffering, cross-bearing to, guys, can I give you a glimpse of the glory that awaits you? The glory that awaits me. You're going to share in it. And that's what's going on in the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is so balanced. And every pastor and every expositor and every preacher and teacher of the Word of God needs to have that balance. On the one hand, he rebukes them. On the other hand, he exhorts them with all long-suffering. He lays the hammer down, take your cross up, guys, deny yourself. But then he gives them this incentive because in the end, you're going to share in the glory that I'm going to experience after my death, resurrection, and ascension. He's really given them the benefits package. It's hard work. 
Here's what I'm going to demand of you, but here's the benefit package. It's a really good retirement plan, guys. You get to go to heaven. You get to experience the millennial kingdom, the eternal state. You're going to share in my glory. And you know what, folks? That is how the New Testament argues for perseverance and discipleship. Listen to Paul in Romans 8, verse 17. He says, Then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, for indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14 which kind of takes up this theme, Second Thessalonians 2.14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, there's a call to discipleship. There's a call to live out the lordship of Jesus Christ, but with it comes the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus. So I think that's what we've got here. So if you're taking notes, three things. As we look at this, what I'm calling almost the Cinderella Doctrine, I was surprised that a lot of the books I have on Christology, I've looked at several Reformed systematics, and along with one other writer, I agree with him that this doctrine is given slight treatment by most theologies. It doesn't seem to rise in the importance in our mind as the incarnation and the death and resurrection and burial. But I would suggest to you, this is a very important aspect of Christ's life. It's an important part of our Christology because it's found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And Peter mentions it twice in his letters. So three things. Number one, what I'm calling the heavenly vision. The heavenly vision, verses 2 and 3. So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, led them up to a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white. Now, let me step back. Has it ever struck you as you read the Gospels how little information we have on the looks and appearance of the Lord Jesus? Could you tell me his height, the color of his hair, the color of his eyes, his shape? Was he small, tall, large, thin? We don't know any of that. And the implication is that Jesus looked just like anybody else. In fact, Isaiah 53, verse 2 tells us what? There's no beauty in him that we should desire him. I mean, if you put him in a lineup, he wouldn't look any different from John Doe here and John Doe there. You know, just by physical feature, he looked just like the son of Mary and nothing like the son of God. And so by this stage, as the gospels are being written and Jesus' life is unfolding, his disciples And those who would believe on him after them accepted him by faith. It was by faith that Peter said, you are the Christ. You say, but hold on a minute, pastor. Peter saw miracles. He saw healings, exorcisms. He saw Jesus' authority over creation. You're right. But you know what? Moses did miracles. Elijah did miracles. And that's not you know, the closing argument for Jesus' sonship and messiahship. So although those things certainly pointed to his uniqueness, the fact that he was the Son of God was an act of faith. Because by appearance, he looked very human, very indistinct, very ordinary. Gospel tells nothing about how he looked. The assumption is he looked just like everybody else. But then comes this transfiguration. And we go from faith to sight. 
You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. But for a brief moment, the disciples who were with them on that holy mountain, as Peter describes it, they got to see a glimpse of his glory. The deity of the Lord Jesus, the glory of the Lord Jesus, the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus shines through. That's why John will say in his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why Peter will say in the passage we read, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Up until now, they had been struck by his plainness, but now they get a glimpse of his majesty. Because we read here that Jesus was what? Transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, that's a Greek word that gives us our English word metamorphosis, kind of the butterfly process the change from the inside out, that becomes something in outward form that it always was on the inside. And that's what we have here. Remember, the Lord Jesus is one person made of two natures. In him dwelt the fullness of God in bodily form. He had a human nature and he had a divine nature. The divine nature preceded the human nature. They were joined together in what theologians call the hypostatic union. Look at it. It's an important doctrine concerning Christ. He was fully man, fully God. He was God before he was man, but in coming man, he didn't cease to be God, and he wasn't a half man. He was both. And that human veil hid his glory. Remember, Paul tells us that he became of no reputation. He came in the likeness of man. He came in the form of a servant. He hid his glory behind a veil of human flesh. And that's why you had to take him by faith beyond the miracles and the few things we see. But right now, they're going to be eyewitnesses to the glory and the majesty of who he was. This is an important doctrine. The divine glory begins to emanate from Jesus. It even made his clothes radiate. I mean, his clothes were so white. Mark is telling us, ladies, there's no detergent would get your clothes this white. There's no launderer on planet Earth that can get the clothes this brilliant white. Matthew tells us, and Luke tells us, that his face shone like the sun. And the important thing to understand in the transfiguration, the metamorphosis, as his outward form changes, it's coming from the inside out. He's not reflecting a glory that's not his. He's expressing a glory that's completely his. This is the difference between Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have time to go here, but if you go back to that scene on Mount Sinai, there's some similarities where Moses goes up a mountain with some men, and the glory of God passes by, and he's overshadowed by a cloud, and God speaks out of the cloud. And when he comes down, his face shines, and the people are like, wow! And I compare that to Jesus, very similar. Some people go up a mountain, the cloud comes down, Jesus' glory shines through, the disciples are terrified, but there's a distinction. Moses reflected the glory of God like the moon reflects the sun's glory. But Jesus' glory came from within. It wasn't a reflected glory. It was His. Because He was God in human flesh. He was the eternal Word dwelling among us. And now we get to witness the majesty of this person. Plus, it's interesting, 
Jesus was radiating the glory of God long before the cloud came down, the Shekinah glory. Moses' face shone after he experienced the Shekinah glory. That's why, by the way, Peter shouldn't say what he says, knowing that he had really nothing to say, but he said it anyway. Lord, let's build three bows, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, you know, God rebukes him in two ways. Number one, out of the cloud, he'll say, hey, Peter, bozo, listen to my son. But beyond that, when the cloud lifts, Moses and Elijah are what? Gone. And it's what? Jesus only. Because as great as those two men were, one is the expression of Old Testament law, and the other is an expression of Old Testament prophecy. They simply point to the greater Moses. They simply point to the one who will fulfill prophecy. And so while they're talking to Jesus, when that's done, Jesus alone is left. Because you see, he's not just a lawgiver, and he's more than a prophet. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the glory that he has isn't a reflected glory. It's a possessed glory. He is God in human form. And in this glory, we get a sneak peek of the glory that the world will see when he returns in the glory of the Father with the holy angels at the second coming. Okay, what do we do with that? What do we do with that quickly? Mountains are places of revelation. Study your Bible, and important things happen on mountains. In fact, I think it was F.F. F. Bruce, if my memory serves me right, I could be wrong. I love he said that mountains are the suburbs of heaven. And so here, the Lord Jesus with the three disciples and Moses and Elijah, something happens in the suburbs of heaven on the mountain. And what happens is a revelation is given to these men of the glory of the one who's been walking amidst them. A glory that will be confirmed in his resurrection a glory and power that will be put on display at the second coming. And this is something that impresses itself on the minds of these apostles who will ultimately become pillars in the church. Ephesians 2.20 tells us they'll become part of the foundation. It is their witness, it is their confession that this is the Christ that will move the world. And they will be sustained by this vision of a radiant, majestic, cosmic glorious Christ who has all power and authority. That's what they'll take from this experience. That's the revelation given to them. What a powerful revelation of the glorious second coming of Christ. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy in a message titled Preview of Coming Attractions. You can access all of Philip's teachings on our website at ktt.org. Well, every day on this program, we talk about being listener-supported, and here's what that means. We don't have a stockpile of cash on reserve somewhere. It's your faithful giving that keeps us on this station, broadcasting the Word of God, whether you give once a month as a truth ambassador or you give a single gift as you can afford it. Together, we can link arms to share the gospel, training and equipping people to know the truth. Give a donation today by calling 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. As a thank you for your generosity, we'll send you Philip's new booklet titled Handling the Pressure. How do you handle all the demands of modern life? 
According to Philip, Jesus has given us the blueprint for handling stress. Now, this isn't a self-help book. It's a biblical guide that will teach you to be like Jesus by responding to the pressures of life like he did. Give a donation and request Handling the Pressure by Philip DeCourcy when you call 888-644-8811 or when you go to ktt.org. If you prefer to send a check, place it in an envelope addressed to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And thanks in advance for your support that allows us to bring Know the Truth to people across the country. Your generous support also helps us bring you the KTT mobile app, monthly resources, and Philip's weekly email devotional. Be sure to check out all the Bible study resources available at ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be listening tomorrow as Philip DeCourcy teaches more about the revelation displayed in the Transfiguration. That's Thursday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you're over 50 and concerned about any of the following, stay tuned for an exclusive free bottle offer. Are you concerned about your heart health? Are you interested in healthy brain function? What about joint comfort and energy? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, we want to send you a free bottle of Krill Omega 50 Plus now with CoQ10. Krill Omega 50 Plus with CoQ10 combines krill oil with fish oil in one tiny pill. And this little pill delivers big health benefits to your heart your joints, your arteries, and brain. And with CoQ10, you'll enjoy extra energy, too. Best of all, you can get a free bottle of Krill Omega 50 Plus with CoQ10 today. Just pay for shipping. Call right now and request your free bottle. Dial 1-800-229-3992. That's 1-800-229-3992. 1-800-229-3992. Again, call now. 1-800-229-3992. Want to be inspired? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.